Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Good morning. I was late at the first service, so I'm feeling really good about being here now. It is wonderful. <laughs> Sometimes things don't go as planned. That's going to be part of the sermon today. It, it is wonderful to be here with you. If you're in the room, that's great. Special thank you and welcome to those joining online. If you have your Bible, grab that. We are continuing in our study through the books of the Acts of the Apostles. And we're in chapter six today, and really, I think, a, a neat, neat passage. And we're talking about this in this part of the series about God's church being unstoppable. And I think that's an incredibly neat, neat thing for us to process. But remember, it's unstoppable. It's not that it's perfect, right? Because we know God's church is not perfect because it's made up of imperfect people, right? And so here's the deal. If this is your church, I can virtually guarantee this if you've been here for quite some time. We have not intentionally done something to disappoint you or offend you. It's just very, very likely that happens because we're human. It's not our goal, but we know it. We're not a perfect church. Now, maybe it was a perfect church before I got here, but then kind of rough in the nine o'clock service because Pastor Mark Brewster had been here for 30 years, was in attendance. And I was like, yeah, you did a great job. And, and then, but here's the deal. Like, I understand if it was perfect, I, I showed up, I ruined the whole thing because I'm not a perfect pastor. And I realized this because I looked online and I found the description of a perfect pastor and I don't measure up. Here's the qualifications. I'll share them with you. Perfect pastor. Perfect pastor preaches exactly 20 minutes every sermon, boldly condemns sin without ever offending anybody in the congregation. Right? Amazing. Perfect pastor works from 8 a.m. until midnight, seven days a week, and in his spare time, he serves as the church custodian. The perfect pastor makes $1,000 a week, but he donates $500 a week to the church while still managing to wear nice clothes and drive a nice car and live in a nice home. The perfect pastor is 35 years old, and he has 40 years of pastoral experience. (laughs) Perfect pastor has a beautiful wife and four attractive and well-mannered children. I got one! (laughs) so good. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to invest in the senior saints in his ministry, so he spends the bulk of his time volunteering in children's. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor which keeps him seriously devoted to his job in the church. Makes 15 home visits a day and yet he's always in his office while he is out in town sharing the gospel. Of course, the perfect pastor is not at your church. He's at a church across town. (laughs) I realize you guys could have gotten the perfect pastor God gave you to me. Here's the reality, right? We're sinful people. We live in a fallen world. God's plan for his church is perfect. What happens? We routinely stray from the script. There's an old poem that I love. I think it's so funny. It says, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be the glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. (laughs) And it's true. The present day church is going to have troubles. But take heart, we're not going to be the first to struggle. We've already seen this in our study so far here in Acts. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira, and they committed a sin that immediately 
led to death. That early church wasn't perfect either. But God's plan for his church is perfect. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to join him in that. Does that sound like our vision here at OCC? That's what we're trying to do. I've loved talking about the early church here early on because there's so many times I picture, man, what would it have been like to be at that church? To see all those miracles taking place, to experience that kind of unity, that kind of generosity. But we realize as we're studying, that church had problems too. We already talked about the hypocrisy and the greed. Bless you. We know they suffered persecution. They had suffering and trials. And here in chapter 6, Dr. Luke is now going to address a different problem. This is a new problem that springs up in the church. And it was really because of this just phenomenal growth they experienced. They were blowing up. Some folks made a complaint, right? They didn't like something in the church. I know we can't imagine that today. But this complaint really was a danger, and it could have split the early church. We talk about that now a lot, church splits. And then the horrible story is, well, that church split because these people wanted a certain color carpet, and these people wanted a different color. And that would be horrible if churches split over that. But it does happen. This is super important to address today because it actually helps set the stage what we're going to study for how churches function. But if you grabbed an outline on your way in as I was reading and praying about this message this week, God showed me something that I hadn't noticed before. And do we love that when we're reading God's word and you read something you've seen many times before and you see something new in there? Seems like Luke has kind of laid out a pattern in the first several chapters here of the book of Acts. And what you see is the church kind of immersed in being the church, immersed in church life. And then the next thing you know, they're immersed out in the world and they're doing things in the community. And it's kind of this balancing act where they move back and forth. Started out there in chapter one, the the bare bones of the early church, really the small group of the disciples and the apostles, they were together and they were praying about God affirming someone to replace Judas. And, And really, as soon as that happened, now you see Peter where? Out in the multitudes. And he's preaching to tons of folks and 3,000 people become Christ followers. And then at the end of the chapter two, we're back into church life. They're talking about having all things in common and sharing everything together and living generously and assimilating new church members. And then you see the church back out in the world experiencing all this persecution. And then you jump back in chapter four to church life. The church gathers together to pray. See all those incredible examples of generosity and unity. And we get that first blip of problems in the church with greed and hypocrisy. And then last week, what do we see? The church back out in the world. It's the apostles versus the religious leaders of the Jewish culture. And and the apostles we see get beaten, but considered a privilege to suffer with Christ. And now this passage today, we're back to the inside baseball. We're back inside the church. And this is going to set the scene, honestly, for the next outside the church passage where a guy we learn about today named Stephen is going to be publicly stoned. And I don't mean he's driving over to Washington and partaking. I mean, this this is old school stoning where they throw rocks at him to try and kill him. And, And so we see this balance back and forth between church life and community life. And I think that's an application question for us. How do we achieve the balance God desires for us to have here at OCC? So I think the Holy Spirit through Dr. Luke seems to be proposing, we're going to have to wrestle with this a little bit. And you see this, honestly. There are churches today that are so outwardly focused, they don't ever address things inside the church. And if you don't address things that come up in the church, there's going to be discord. And a lot of those churches end up struggling and they end up shrinking. 
But you see it the other way too. You see churches that are so outwardly focused, or pardon me, so inwardly focused, they don't remember they have a mission to go out and be the body of Christ. And those churches also begin to shrink. And so shrinking churches, ineffective, unloving, self-centered churches, they're a real problem in the world today. And they're always a problem because in those churches, God doesn't get the glory that he deserves. So what are we going to do about it? How can we be the church that God wants? How can we be balanced with our internal issues and focused on taking the gospel to the world? I'm going to have to deal with that over the next several weeks. So let's read this text together, kind of just in one fell swoop and see how we're going to apply it. This is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. We'll have it on the Sky Bible if you need it. Dr. Luke writes this. Now in these days, which days are these? They're the days when the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Remember, they pooled all their stuff together and they were meeting needs. And the 12, this is the church leaders, they summoned the full number of the disciples. And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They say, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Who's we? The church leaders. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said was pleasing to the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa. No, I mean, pardon me. Parmenas, always messed that one up. And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Hey, find these seven guys who are gonna go out and serve. And look what happens in verse seven. This must have been a good thing. It says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's a little shorter than the 31 verses we tackled last week, but a lot of stuff in here, okay? And this passage reveals to us some issues that come up within the church. And one of the clear issues this early church had to deal with was growing pains. They grew exponentially, just miraculously, right? You had the 12 guys together, and then there were 120 people, and Peter goes out and preaches to the crowd, and now there's 3,000 people, and they continue to share the gospel, and now there's 5,000 people. And so much of the time in the Bible, when you see those numbers, they're normally just counting dudes, right? It's a very patriarchal society. And so you got to figure each one of those dudes had a wife and 3.2 children. And, and so the church at this point in time might be 25,000 people. It's just this huge, growing organism, Right? And when things grow, and especially when they grow quickly, sometimes it's really hard to help them move along. If you've parented teenagers, you know how this works. Because <laughs> all of a sudden your teenager grows like six inches and three shoe sizes and they're walking like this. And like, are your elbows and knees connected to your body? What, like, how, how do you do that, right? And they're just trying to figure out how to operate at that new size, right? Well, the church was doing some of that. They were growing so huge that they had issues. How do we deal with that today? as the churches grow, not just numerically, but also spiritually? It's a big question, right? And I think to do this, we have to do the thing that we've been focused on literally every week of this study. Are we committed to God? Are we committed to his people? Are we committed to reading his word to try and figure out how to orient our lives? So that's the first point on your outline there. Our guide in this life is to orient everything we do through prayer and obedience to God's word. 
And that just seems really logical to me. I think that's very, very sensible. It's so sensible, I wish we didn't have to explore it in depth, right? I wish we just all did that. Every decision we make, we would go, well, let's pray about it and let's see what God's word says. I'm not looking for a show of hands here because I think this could be embarrassing, but is that what we're doing now? Every decision that comes up, is that the criteria we run through? If we did, we could avoid a lot of issues in this area, but, but I don't think it's our default position. And this is where being intimately involved with God is so helpful to us because he gives us his word as a primer. The Bible, honestly, is just a big, long love letter that was written to you. It was written to me so that God says, here's the plan. Here's the playbook for abundant life. Follow this. And we see passages in there that you wish we didn't need, like Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. This is a memory verse for a lot of you, I know. Trust in who? The Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on what? On yourself. (laughs) Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. And so I just think this is so cool because this is exactly what the apostles do here in this text. They learn that there are issues rising up in the church. What does verse two say? Hey, let's not neglect the word of God. What does verse four say? Hey, let's pray about this so we can devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And what was the result? We already saw in verse seven, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So when the early church leaders came upon a problem, their first response was to go to God in prayer. Their first response was to continue studying his word. Is that our first response today? It certainly should be. There's not going to be greater wisdom we're going to get in this world. I don't know if I'm just breaking this to you because there's cool stuff. I'm like, I get it. You can go, you know, Google everything and there's AI and stuff, but, but we're not going to come up with anything better than God's word. I don't care what chat GPT has to tell you. It's just not going to be better. I know that. There's nothing better than abiding in him. There's nothing better than hearing from him in that love letter to us. And, and hear me on this. I'm not saying don't use modern technology, Right? There's tons of things that are beneficial. There's tons of things that are helpful. We just have to have them the right priority. Don't place any of those things above God's word. I've been so blessed in the time that I've been a full-time pastor. And, and I remember being on staff at the church where God had me back in Missouri. And we would go to these elder meetings. And man, I, I didn't mean to be a thorn in anybody's side, but I struggled with these meetings because the person who had set the agenda would just pack this agenda. And we'd meet, I'm not lying, every week for like four, four and a half hours. We had a meeting, legendary, lasted seven hours. And, and we would run the meeting by Robert's rules of orders. And so Robert was there in his protocol. But I was like, is the Holy Spirit here? Because I don't think, <laughs> this is why I got in trouble with these meetings. I was like, I don't, I don't think we're supposed to meet that long, right? And I've seen and heard of churches that run their operations more like for-profit businesses than the church of God. But you got to ask, are we seeking our own will? Are we seeking God's will? And and that's an important question to ask. How can we make sure we don't get off course? It's by devoting ourselves to prayer and by being obedient to God's word. That's it. That's the mark for the corporate church. And it should be the mark for every individual Christ follower who makes up the corporate church. And it's especially applicable, we see this in our passage, for leaders in the church. 
And I'm not saying there's not great wisdom out there. I've read books on church management. I've read books on church growth. There's good stuff out there. There truly is. Do we have it in the right priority? We're going to do something neat this fall we haven't done in the time that God has had me here on staff, but we're going to actually hire a consultant to help us in the area of kids' ministry because we're seeing trends. Wes is doing such a phenomenal job. He is praying so hard, but he's seeing statistics that are kind of disappointing regarding attendance and retention of families. And so we're going to go to a consultant. We're going to enlist the help of an expert in that field, a real godly lady. And we're going to get that wisdom, and then we're going to pray and go back to God's word and say, God, are we doing this right? Anything we hear, we want to make sure it aligns with his word. So, so that's the deal. We want to be a church that brings God the glory he's worthy of. We're going to do that by clinging to him. We're going to do that by listening to him, talking to him, learning from him. That's the way we want to proceed as we're tasked with leading his church. That's a specific ministry area of focus for us. It's obvious in this passage there was a specific ministry area where the early church was struggling, and it was with distributing food. They're supposed to take care of widows. The Bible gives us specific instruction about that. It's really important. 1 Timothy chapter 5, James chapter 1. And and these passages, they're in the Bible because back in the day, widows, many of them were just destitute. Men made all the money. And so when men died, if they didn't have family, they were struggling. They had no means of support. And the church, as it is still today, was supposed to help up, step up and meet those needs. And that is because as Christ followers, we're supposed to do that across the board. We're supposed to place others' needs before our own. You see that all over God's word. If we focus on obedience to his word and prayer, we're going to see that. And again, it's important for everybody, especially for leaders in the church. For leaders, those concepts should kind of merge together. If we're serving in the church, standing up here leading worship, we're leading a small group, we're counseling or mentoring, goodness, if I'm writing a sermon and we're not actively praying, (laughs) I don't know how effective we're going to be, right? This is one of the things that God just hammers on me in ministry. And and, and I don't know if you've driven by the church late on Saturday nights and seen my light up in my office. This is all I'm doing. I'm sitting up there praying, going, God, could you speak through me? Because I got not much. I have this incredible opportunity to stand and teach from the word of God. I have this incredible opportunity to share the gospel. What am I going to do, make it better? (laughs) No. Spice it up a little bit? The only thing I can do is make it worse, right? (laughs) I can detract from this incredible story, and I don't want to do that. An old story about one of the greatest preachers ever, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, pastored a a huge church in London for almost 40 years. And and somebody asked him one time, Reverend Spurgeon, when you get done preaching a sermon, what do you do? And he said, I go back into my office, and I fall on my knees, and I ask forgiveness for what I just did to the greatest story ever told, right? That's kind of the spot we're in. I can't make it better. There's a nod here to that reality of the joke about the perfect pastor. There's, there are no perfect pastors. But for every minister, it doesn't matter if you're vocational, full-time, volunteer, whatever, there's only so many hours available in the day, and we need to budget those wisely. See a priority on that here in Acts chapter 6. It says the leaders of the early church were supposed to budget the bulk of their time towards being well-prepared to preach, to teach God's word. And in that regard, they were leaving something to the side that's very, very admirable, very, very helpful, and that's serving people. And they had to balance that out. How do we serve people and still spend the bulk of our time preparing to preach? 
I remember when I first learned about this, and it was a, it was a big struggle for me. I, I, God had just appointed me the teaching pastor of this church back in Missouri. And so I was at the church on a Saturday, and I was preparing for a sermon on a Sunday, and we'd had a huge snowstorm on Friday. And so people were coming up and trying to clear the lot, and, and they were having a hard time finding people, whatever. And I was like, well, I'm here, and I could help. So I grabbed a shovel, and I went out, and I was shoveling sidewalks and shoveling steps. And an older guy, a deacon in that church, came and got in my face. And he was like, we need to find somebody else to do this. You're supposed to be in there preparing to teach. And I got a little offended, and honestly, it was probably a prideful thing. I can do both, you know. But, but here's the reality with something like that. If I would stand up before you and be unprepared to teach because I'd done something good, I'd gone out and served, but I hadn't prepared, that would be as bad as if I was standing up here unprepared because I'd watched a lot of baseball during the week, which I would never do, <laughs> hypothetically, right? Not that that would happen. But, but either way, if I was unprepared, that's not bringing God glory, that's not using the gifts that he has given me to build his body. So bottom line for all Christ followers, but especially for leaders, are we orienting everything we do through prayer and obedience to God's word? But, this is a big deal, point number two on the outline, even when we do that, even when we devote ourselves to prayer, even when we orient ourselves to God's word, that doesn't mean we're not gonna run into problems. I think the early church is a great model, a very solid model for the present-day church to follow. Man, they're big on unity, big on community, wildly generous. They had leaders who had literally walked with Jesus. They were experiencing phenomenal growth. And it was all new conversion growth. These folks were placing their faith in Jesus. They weren't leaving the church from across town because it didn't have a perfect pastor and they were looking for the perfect pastor. We, we know that happens, right? But the early church in all this splendor still had problems. And part of those problems arose, honestly, because of those brand new Christ followers. I don't know if this is, you know, groundbreaking to you, but, but a church that has a bunch of brand new spiritual people, they're, they're spiritual babies, right? And with spiritual babies, you're going to have to change a lot of spiritual diapers. <laughs> spiritual babies are just like little physical babies. They're self-centered. Lots of crying with little babies, right? We get that. We know that. I heard about a mother once. She was trying to comfort. She had a newborn child, and this child was crying all the time. You, you know why babies cry, right? They want something, but they don't know how to tell you what it is. So they cry, and this little baby was crying like angry whale and just, oh, my gosh, so loud. And so bad that the mother's other child, a seven-year-old boy, came into the room. It's like, what is going on? Well, I'm trying to comfort the baby. And the little boy, little Jimmy, goes, where did we get this baby again? <laughs> And the mother said, well, you know, this little child is a gift from heaven. And little Jimmy said, yeah, I know why they kicked him out. Because, oh, man, <laughs> this is rough up in here, right? Little babies cry a lot. They want something. They can't tell us what it is. Let's broaden that category just a little bit. Isn't that why we grumble and complain? <laughs> the, the only thing is we're getting much better at camouflaging what we want. We try to spruce it up a little bit, make it look better. We camouflage our intentions because we don't want to die to ourselves. The reality is that all of God's churches are prone to having problems within the ranks. And I believe this issue that comes up in the early church, I don't think it was deliberate in any way. I don't think they set out to offend anyone. Turns out the Hellenistic Jews felt like their widows were being slighted. The Hebrew widows were getting more than their fair share in that daily distribution of food. And these are two different groups, right? 
the Hellenists were largely made up of Greek people. They came from outside the Palestine area. They, they were influenced by the Greek culture. But the Hebrew Jews, they spoke a different language. They spoke Aramaic. They grew up in the Jewish culture, many of them right in that area. But both of these groups had come to faith. How? By professing faith in Jesus. They believed he was God's Messiah. They believed he was the Savior. But they came with these two different backgrounds, right? Wasn't that the same thing in the church today? Got a lot of folks who show up with different backgrounds. And being a Christ follower, being saved, doesn't erase all the background stuff. Somebody shows up here at church, they're a brand new believer, they're still going to have some conflicts. Being new in Christ doesn't eradicate all of our cultural issues, all our attitudes. That baggage comes along for the ride, doesn't it? As we grow in our Christ-likeness, what we're supposed to do is learn how to get along with one another. Supposed to practice that unity we see displayed in the early church. And I love this. This is, again, something unique in this passage. In verse 1 of chapter 6, Dr. Luke gives us a first mention of a word that we use all the time here at OCC because it's part of our mission. It's our mission. We're going to make disciples who make disciples. This is the first place in the Bible where the folks who followed Christ were referred to as disciples. You realize that? You know what a disciple is? Goodness, if this is your church and you don't know, <laughs> you're not listening when we're talking. A disciple is a learner, right? Well, what are we learning? We're learning to follow Jesus. That's not a practice we're great at at the start, right? We don't pick that up immediately. It's kind of a lifelong process. And that's why God's word continues to instruct us over and over. You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to serve one another. You're supposed to bear with one another. If we did all those things right all the time, the Bible would be a lot skinnier, but it's not, <laughs> because we have to hear these things over and over. Even devoted Christ followers run into problems. And sometimes, sometimes being in ministry amplifies the problems. And that's what happened here in the early church. They were trying to meet the needs of these widows. They, they weren't setting out to ignore them, but they weren't accomplishing the task in a God-honoring way. Sometimes we try to do things in the church. We're doing ministry, and we ask for a pass because our heart's right. <laughs> like we were trying to do it. We just weren't doing it very well, right? I'll never forget this, and this was disappointing to me. Again, I, I, I give lots of illustrations of stuff that happened back in Missouri because nobody's here. <laughs> no, hopefully not going to step on too many toes, but, but this one, some toes needed to be stepped on. When I was the area director for Young Life, we were doing a big outreach deal in a kind of under-resourced area of town, and so we were having this big meal, going to feed a bunch of people. And, and there were several churches that had partnered in this, and I literally saw two pastors from two different churches in town almost getting a fist fight because they wanted to have their table at the front. Which was more important, serving these poor, needy people a meal or somebody getting credit for it, right? And I, and I, I laugh, but it's because I wanted to cry. <laughs> That's not the way we're supposed to do that. And, and we don't get a pass because we're trying to do ministry, right? In our text, we're not told whether the Hellenistic Jews went directly to the apostles and discussed this problem or if the apostles heard it through the grapevine, right? We just know they had a complaint, Greek word here tells us a lot. It's the word gongusmos. It literally means a murmuring. So that's what they were doing. <laughs> They're kind of murmuring, grumbling amongst themselves, and probably word spread until the apostles heard about it. Now, that's not the way to address problems, right? If you have a problem, what are you supposed to do? Go to someone who can help. Go to a leader in the church. I promise you, if there's stuff that's going on in the church, somebody came and shared something with me after the 9 o'clock service. We want to hear that. 
Because honestly, there may be a chance, like I didn't know anything about this thing the person came to tell me. I was like, I have to know that. If we're going to move forward and be in the church God wants us to be, I got to know things like that. So if you have an issue, come talk to somebody on staff. Talk to a a ministry council person. We want to hear those things and move forward. And so what they did in this church looks a little different from the governance model we use today. And Paul will teach more about these and we'll get to those at some point in time. But, But we have like an elder governance model. If you've seen that, we call ours a ministry council. But it's this unified band of believers, guys with differing gifts who meet together to discuss things. Here they didn't have that yet. They hadn't set that up yet. So what did they do? The apostles just brought it to everybody. Sometimes this is unwieldy, but like they they literally went to the 25,000 people and said, you guys are in on this, right? Here's what we're going to do in this regard. You're going to pick seven guys. And I love that. Don't don't pick one guy, right? You're going to pick seven guys. And not just any warm bodies. You're going to pick people who are of the highest caliber. The greatest character, it says, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Get a bunch of them to come together and serve. A lot of times this passage is noted as being the the introduction of the first deacons in the church. We'll learn more about that notion as we continue too. But, But I just think it's unique that everybody was involved in this calling. And what they did was they picked seven godly guys several of them with really Greek-sounding names, to go minister to these Greek widows. Why? Because there was a need. How are we addressing needs today? When problems come up in the church, do, do we get scared or do we see those as opportunities to minister? Do we see those as opportunities to pray about finding a godly answer? I hope it's that latter one. Point number three on the outline. God gets great glory when there is unity in diversity. Remember where this conflict came from. There seemed to be a difference in the way the widows of one group were treated compared to the widows from the other group. And so what was their solution? Well, let's just split the church. Going to have two churches. We'll start, you know, I'll buy property, a catty corner from the other church, and we'll have the first Hellenistic church of Jerusalem, and, and we'll put up a sign, and we'll have sign wars with the other church and tell them how bad they are. That's what we do today, right? But I love that's not what they did. And this is telling, and I'll tell you this, these two groups from different backgrounds spoke different languages. They worked this out in a spirit of unity. They didn't split the church. And I'll say this, there are times, honestly, when churches may have to split. If you have serious doctrinal issues, if you have biblical issues where you can't get together and how to bring God glory, those churches may have to split, but it shouldn't be over stuff that's not biblical. It should never be over the color of the carpet. Because God gets great glory when diverse things are unified. I remember when he taught me this lesson, and man, I hadn't been in ministry very long. And again, it was when I was doing Young Life ministry. And, and so we had an issue in the town where Christine and I were born and lived. And, and there was a strong African-American population. And, and I'd gone to an elementary school where I was one of three white kids in the school. And, and, and doing Young Life ministry in this school system, there, there was really kind of a chasm. There was a divide there. And, and I remember well-meaning people, people who really loved kids, they loved Jesus, came to me and was like, well, you ought to have two clubs. You ought to have a black club and a white club. And I was like, are you hearing yourself talking <laughs> out loud? Because yeah. I came from an elementary school. Where it was really, I was like, here's the whites drinking fountain. Here's the, and I was like, yeah, are you sure that's what we want to do? I'm like, well, that way you could play you know, music that would appeal to certain groups or you could do these things to meet. And I was like, I just don't have a great feeling about that. And I didn't know why. So you know what I did? I prayed. <laughs> 
and I sought out God's word. I think that's the answer for what we're supposed to do. And I came away with this notion, man, if we just committed ourselves to loving every student right where they are and telling them God loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you here where you are, he wants so much better for you, if we did that, wouldn't we help bridge this cultural divide? Wouldn't Jesus be the answer for that? And so that's what we sought out to do. We wanted God to get the glory. And we know that's how the book's going to end, right? Have we read to the end? And you get to that amazing passage that says what? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does that mean? Not black and white, together. Different cultures don't matter. Different financial places don't matter. Different educational statuses don't matter. Every knee will bow. That's unity across diversity, and that is beautiful. And God will get the glory, amen? Number four, understanding our spiritual gifts can actually help us resolve conflict in the church. In our text today, we realize even the apostles, right, these guys who had walked with Jesus, they couldn't do enough. They couldn't serve well enough or hard enough to meet all the needs of the church. They weren't perfect pastors either. It makes me feel so good. Specifically, they were called to leadership, right? And they were equipped by God for the ministry of prayer. They were equipped for the preaching of God's word. But it doesn't look like they were micromanagers. They didn't have to go out and manage everything that was going on in the church. They would delegate responsibility to other people who had spiritual gifts that God had provided. So they could go out and address those issues. And that example is still super relevant, super helpful in the church today. I guarantee you, again, if this is your church, you've heard me say this before. We have this vision. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in the present. We want to be a church that joins God where he's at work. That's our vision. And you've heard me say this before. We're not going to accomplish that vision if only half of us are on board. To accomplish that vision, 100% of us need to be on board. That's what we're searching for. We want to join God, every one of us, where he's at work because that's the thing that brings him the glory he deserves. Now, this is what I've observed, and, and I've got 23 years of full-time ministry looking at this. When folks murmur and grumble in the church, I don't get that frustrated about that. I really don't, because here's what that reveals to me. If somebody comes and they grumble about something, that's likely the area where they have a spiritual gift. And what they're seeing is, hey, I don't think we're bringing God the glory that we're supposed to in this area. If somebody comes and grumbles, oh, Pastor James, I don't think we're doing enough in outreach. We're not. But that person most likely has the gift of evangelism and they want to be part of that. So it's a great opportunity to go, well, here's your shot. Help us find something. If somebody comes and grumbles about the lack of organization in this church, that's always my fault. <laughs> that person likely has the gift of administration. I get that. If somebody comes and grumbles, that church is not friendly. Nobody has ever grumbled that, by the way, here. <laughs> you guys are crushing this one. But, but if somebody would come and say, oh, that church isn't very friendly, I would bet, not in the church, you don't bet in the church, I, but I believe that that person has the gift of hospitality, right? And so that's what we see in these areas that we're passionate and God's gifted us uniquely. We want to see the church crushing it in those areas. But somebody has to come and tell us. We don't want to stick our heads in the sand. We want to be part of resolving these issues, addressing these conflicts, because we want God to get the glory. What did the early church do? The leaders prayed. They dug into God's word. They didn't split the church. They relied on 
godly leaders with godly characters to use their spiritual gifts. Why? To grow God's church. Did it work? That's exactly what we saw in verse 7. The word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. It was so great. Look, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Goodness, even the Jewish priests were so drawn to God's plan for the church. Man, that's exciting. That's what we long to see for God's church today. So how are we doing? How do we apply these things we see in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, as we deal with growing pains, as we seek to to balance our, our focus between things in the church and things outside the church and the community? Are we praying first? You hear that phrase all the time when we exhaust every effort that we came up with and we go, well, all we can do now is pray. What if we'd started there? What was, that was the first thing that we did? Do we seek wisdom from God's word? Do we seek to know what our spiritual gifts are so we can use them to glorify God, to build his body? Let me close with this. I've heard that in every organization, the people that make up the group, doesn't matter if it's a secular group, church group, whatever, they're like bones, right? They're the structure of the organization. In the church, I think there are four bones. There are wish bones. Those are folks who just wish somebody else would step up and do that. (laughs) There's an issue. I don't want to do that. Man, I hope somebody comes up with something, right? There are jaw bones. There are people who talk a good game but really don't have any (laughs) actions to back it up, right? There are knuckle bones. What does a knuckle do? Comes along and knocks everything. Ah, that's not a good idea. That's a horrible idea. I'm just going to knock that idea. And there are backbones. What do backbones do? They come along and carry the load. Backbones know their spiritual gifts. They step up in the church to serve. They step up to meet needs like these guys did who were appointed in the early church. Amen? That's what we're looking for. We got a church full of backbones. God bless you guys. I sure do love you. Let's pray. Oh, Daddy, help us to be the church you desire for us to be here at Orchards Community Church. Help us to be the church in the world as we go out into the community. God, we don't want glory for OCC. We want you. We want you to have the glory that you're so worthy of. It's all that matters. Help us, God. Help us to pray. Help us to seek you first. Help us to know your word. Help us to be immersed in your word, looking for your guidance on how to be your church. Because your church is unstoppable. And we know as we introduce people to you, as we share the gospel, God, when folks profess faith in you, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Jesus is the Lord to your glory. God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care and God bless.